Welcome to episode number four of The Third Power. This week, joining me once again is my co-host, Anthony Avatolo. Yes, I'm re- I have returned. Didn't you do some, like, uh, cubing at the uh, at the GP? I absolutely did, and it was fantastic, let me tell you. Whew. We had a spicy uh, blue-white control deck that we uh, 306-0'd uh, our draft with. Maybe we'll uh, talk about that, some sample deck list in the future, but whew. good times, good times. Didn't play a single match of constructed of uh, sanctioned magic all weekend, but might have played a few cube matches. See, that's that's how that's out of rule, truly. All right, uh, we're for this episode, we're gonna mainly do a set review of Mirrodin Besieged. So, like, if you're at the pre-release, you can get some cards at the on the cheap, like like uh, Anthony did with the uh, what four dollar foil mimic vat was that or something or five dollar? Yep, that sounds about right. Three or four dollar foil mimic vat. And I was like, you know. I heard people talk about this card. I should probably pick up this foil one. And we did it. And totally got there. We did it. So, I mean, ob- obviously we're not we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to bat a thousand, but for the most part we're going to you know, we're probably going to have a pretty good impression of how this set is going to be. Right. And, and we're, we're not going to talk about every single card in the entire set. That would actually take forever. And I think mainly the the cards we're going to talk about are the ones that we think are definitely going in. And also some ones that have been talked about that are maybe, well, that are maybes. Um, or ones that look good that maybe ne- aren't necessarily good enough in our opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's let's start by diving into artifacts, which is like the whole theme of this set, even though it's pretty underrepresented in, um, in Mirrodin Besieged cube-worthy cards. The first one is probably the obvious windmill slam in Sword of Feast and Famine. Yeah, just this card is unbelievable. Um, personally, I'm putting this sword second behind Sword of Fire and Ice. Um, I feel like when you're swinging with the sword, yeah, it may not have the best protection colors, even though I feel like black is obviously is a removal color and green lets you swing through ground stalls. Um, I feel like the black ability is you're generating card advantage every time you hit with it. Yes, they get to pick the card, but who cares? But I think the underrated part of this, Usman, is the untap all your lands. Yeah, I think it's definitely like the, you know, like uh, Sword and Fire and Ice, it's pretty easy. Like, that's always going to get there. Like, there's always going to, if you can't hit a creature for two, you can always just dome somebody. Absolutely. And, and like, you know, Light and Shadow kind of similar, but I think a lot of people, yeah, are underrating the untap all lands thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the blue and green one is very good, too. I mean, generating more creatures is, is great, uh, body and mind. But I think the, the untapping land part is just being really underestimated. Uh, imagine, I, I know at least a lot of times when I play swords, it's usually on turn five, because you definitely want the equip and then swing sort of thing happening here. Um, when you get to do it with this card, when you make contact, you got your sword and your equip for free. So you can then continue to play your other spells, you can play more creatures on the board. If you're a, you know, a blue deck for of some flavor, you can have counterspell or response ma- uh, mana up. The other thing you can do, too, is you can then move the sword and play defense with it, especially mm-hmm. because of the pro green. Yeah, definitely, like, I think it's going to be most at home in mid-range decks. Like, the other swords were pretty universally playable, and I think this one will be best in mid-range decks, even though I think it's going to be fine in whatever but I think it's definitely going to be great in mid-range decks that are going to, you know, go for the turn five play, because that's what I usually do, you know, pay three, two to equip, bash, and then untap your lands, play some scary 
green five drop, like a Kodama, then North Tree, or a Stomp Howler, or something, and then just keep that pressure going. And I think that's going to be really useful. It's not very obvious, and a lot of these cards with effects aren't very obvious, tend to get underrated, like Gideon, and even like the original Lorwyn's Planeswalkers, a lot of people were like, what is this? How do I, how do I evaluate this kind of thing? But I think, like, even at its worst, you know, double protection and plus two, plus two is really good. Like, there's somebody on Twitter, I think his name is, like, Kenji5 or something. He was like, are you putting all the swords in? I'm like, yeah. Like, even if it had, as long as the next sword, the red-white one, has no drawback, it's right. totally going in. Right. I mean, if if it said, you know, sword of, you know, scratch your armpit and grab a drink of water. It's like, hey, when you do this, you can pause the clock to go scratch yourself and get a drink of water. It's still good enough because of the two, the plus two, plus two, and the protection. Also, too, in your, uh, I'd like to add your mid-range comment. I think this card is very good against mid-range because I know personally in in almost every cube draft I've done, I would say seventy to eighty percent at least, there is always a black green rock mid-range deck. Good old and rock. This this card, yeah, nothing beats rock except for this card. So mm-hmm. get one, find a way to uh, get it in your cube, and I don't think you're going to be sorry. Yeah, and even, like, there are other cards that play nice with equipment like, uh, you know, Stoneforge Mystic. Yes! And this is, and this is totally going to be, it's, you know, BFF. Speaking of Stoneforge Mystic, real real quickly, so I went, you know, I did go to the GP this past weekend, and the artist for Stoneforge Mystic was there. And I was like, oh, awesome. I have all these Stoneforge Mystics, you know, I have four foil ones now. I figured I'd at least get my cube one signed and then see what his signature looked like to see if I wanted to get the rest of mine signed. Except that his the artist line was like two hours long the entire time I was there. Could wow. not get close to him. Um, people were ordering playmats of Stoneforge Mystic, and he was just drawing them like right there while people were standing waiting in line. And uh, I got I finally got over to him. You know, as he's kind of, you know, it looked like he was packing up for the day. And I was like, hey, man, real quick, can you sign a card for me? And he gave me the, nope, not only, you know, basically you're going to make me miss my plane if I write my signature on a card. Jeez. So, yep, we didn't get that one signed. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> I was very sad because, uh, you know me, I love me a Stoneforge Mystic. That's for sure. That's true. <laughs> the next card we're going to talk about is another uh, artifact called uh, Phyrexian Revoker a.k.a. the 2-1 Pithing Needle. And, I mean, there's, like, a few subtle differences. Like, it can't hit lands, but it can hit artifact sources. I mean, mana sources, so it's better against, like, birds, but it's worse against, like, man lands. But I still think it's totally, you know, auto-include. Absolutely. You want to keep... Uh, and it's and it's still a fine uh, body for its cost. It's, a, you know, 2 mana, 2-1, so at least its cost to... its uh, power to cost ratio is where we want it to be. And, uh, you know, of course, any sort of additional effect where you're shutting down planeswalkers, other creatures, things of that nature, you know, absolutely fine. I mean, this seems like an auto-include for anybody that whose cube has activated abilities, which uh, probably should be everybody. I was about to say, it also shuts down the good old Sword of Feast and Famine and, like, pretty much everything. Well, not everything, everything literally, but lots of stuff. Pretty good. It's pretty good. This is another one you guys should grab. And there are only a full retail on these guys are only about four dollars or so right now. And I what? feel like this card's going to be yes. I think uh, a certain website is selling them for three ninety nine each. Um, wow. 
And I mean, it is a rare, but yeah. I, I feel like that's, I, I feel like it's not going to go any lower than that. I feel like this card's just, especially in a format like standard where we just have so many cards that, aka planeswalkers that we don't really have a lot of answers to. I feel yeah. like having any sort of answer, especially one that can actually uh, beat a little bit, um, this card is going to see some play. Even if it's just shut down target chase, it's going to see, you know, it seems like it'll see play in standard, or at least get attention in standard. So yeah, right. I don't think, yeah, I don't think its price is going down. It's probably, nope. I, don't, I don't know how high it's going to go, but it just seems, if you have the money for it, it seems like a I, good idea to pick one up at the pre-release. Yeah, and I feel like this is going to be a sleeper too for one of those, uh, cards that because it's foil in older formats is worth a billion dollars. I feel like this has an outside chance of being one of those as well because of its applications and stack stacks and things like that in oh, wow. older formats. So if if you guys can find a foil one out there and trade for it, I feel like you have a you have a shot at maybe uh latching on to something pretty valuable for uh, for bargain basement price at this point in time. There was another point I wanted to to quickly go over with Bone uh, with a uh, Frixie and Revoker is that it fits aggro decks quite well in terms of the mana curve. I mean, it's definitely cheap, which is nice for any deck, but it also tends to go nicely in the aggro curve and like providing an answer to stuff as well as you know providing a threat, which is mm-hmm. you know really nice in an aggressive deck because you want to have a critical mass of you know beaters essentially, and this definitely adds to that. Absolutely, and like I said, because of that, because of that cost-to-power ratio being okay, being that you know magical one-for-one type thing that we have going on there or higher, it's uh, it's going to fit just fine. Just uh, make sure it doesn't get uh, arc lightning along with uh, your other two uh, two ones. Yeah, that would be a blowout. It's kind of awkward. So, yeah. all right. So next, uh, as far as I go, as far as I know, those are the only two that seem auto in. But mm-hmm. let's talk about. Uh, is it called? Is it Bone Horde? Is that what it? The, the yeah, yeah. Talk about it a little bit. I know you you feel a little strong more strongly about it than I do. Why don't you talk about it a little bit? Well, I don't know. It's like the living weapon mechanic is so has been so disappointing. Like I really wanted there to be something really good. Like there was that Mog Fanatic one, and it's like an O one or something. And like Bone Bone Horde is one of those cards that seems better. Then it lo- like it definitely seems like it's an underrated card right now, not in cube, but just in general. I mean, I definitely think it's going to be at home in a mid-range deck, like a rock deck, for example, because it has so many things dying, you know, so many one-for-one trades going on. You know, I'll terror your two-two guy or whatever. You know, just so many trades going on, and then playing this guy on turn four is nice. But the fact that you can equip it onto Creatures like Alanor Elves, a Shriek Maw, a Necrotal that are just kind of there anyway, and just ter- giving them plus four, plus four. But the unfortunate thing is that four mana is such a competitive mana cost. Sure is. Is that w- it's like what are you taking out for it, or what are you playing over it? Like are you playing it over like Frixian Processor? Are you playing it over Icy Manipulator? Are yeah, you course, I mean I'm not playing it over those cards, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly, and it's. Like, it definitely seems decent, like, as a card itself. And I posted on Twitter being like, hey, people, test this card out. It seems good, because I just haven't had time to test it. Yeah, it's just a, you know, well, if you play it as a four drop, it's just pretty much the same as Mortivore without the regeneration, right? I mean, yeah. you just it's just creatures and graveyards. So you can have a reasonably sized four drop 
that you can then move around. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's really close, and I think uh, we all owe it to ourselves to, to maybe test this card a little bit and, and see what the actual results are. Um, I have a feeling this card is going to be a little bit better in slower cubes, uh, maybe gar- cubes that uh, angle a little t- more towards the mid-rangey side of things. Um, but I can definitely, you know, I-, I can definitely see this card being good in an aggro mirror. I mean, you you have, you know, creatures running into each other all the time. I mean, there could very easily be five creatures in the graveyard by turn four. Yeah. On both sides of, on both sides of the board. It counts both graveyards, is that right? Yeah, all of them. So if yeah. you've got some multiple so, I mean, shenanigans. Being able to play a 5-5 five, five for four, you know, maybe that's not maybe that's not too bad. And then, you know, after after you're done with that, you can move it on to your Birds of Paradise or, you know, your you know, little duders or whatever that don't, you know, that are outclassed because of what's on the board now and actually turn them into a significant threat. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like, know. uh, like, for, like, like, uh, uh, evaluation mechanic I use with cards like this, and this kind of makes me think of Burst Lightning, is that would you play it at, you know, if it had no other abilities, if it was just a four mana two two or a four mana Say it becomes a 2-2 when it comes out or whatever. Like, the variance is obviously the huge question of, A, what's the range of it, and B, what's it going to be on average? Because that's the main thing, is what's your EV out of this card? Mm-hmm. But the question is that, like, if I'm paying 4 mana for a, essentially a Mortivore, like, is that fine? Like, for example, with Burst Lightning, I'm not, like, jumping up and down to play a Shock, because... There is shock, right. but on the other hand, the effect on itself is fine. Like right. I'm, I'm more I'm most of the time when I play burst lightning, it's as a shock. But the fact that it has that upside of kicker for to be able to hit, you know, four drops, is, or the face, yeah, or just yeah, bolt, burst you for four GG, and like that's the thing is like I'm not really sure how how good the quote unquote base effect is, and how good the equip is like yeah the fact that the equip is two makes it a little uh a little less painful and obviously <clears throat> this card would work very well with stoneforge mystic as well because you get to put it in play for only two yeah instant speed two mana five five way to attack idiot <laughs> your guy now it's a six six i mean i could see situations where where it could be very good yeah like definitely like I'm kind of iffy on this card, but it's definitely something that could surprise me in terms of how it is. Like, I'm not going to say it's, like, Mimic Vat or something, but it's, you know, it might just sneak up on me, and, you know, maybe, like, three months later, I could be like, ha, this you know, this idiot is speculating right. on this terrible card. Right. But, so I know. was listening to my podcast number four the other day, and I realized what a hee-haw I am for saying this card sucks or that I'm not including it. I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more I'm interested by it. So, uh... So we'll see what we can do at the pre-release, uh, picking up a foil one. So. Yeah, I was about to say, they're like two bucks. They're dirt cheap right now. And yeah, anything, for sure. It's just a matter of people opening them and, and wanting to trade their shiny new cards. So. Yeah, like if any, yeah. Uh, the next card is one that I talked about earlier, actually, on an earlier podcast, Signal Pest. The one mana, zero one with Battle Cry. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. Like, the more I think about it, the more it just doesn't make the cut. Like, there's just, even though there aren't that many good, you know, artifacts in this blo- in this uh, set, 
Like, I just still... It's another one of those cards that I really want to like, but it's just, I don't think it makes the cut. Especially with the uh, the needle. Like, right. there's just so many good things coming, and I just don't think it makes Sure. It. And I don't think that it's necessary to f- try to force artifact cards in just because it's the artifact set. I mean, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. Personally, yeah. my opinion of this card can probably be summed up by... Yeah, so, exactly. I'm not a I'm not a fan at all. Yeah, you know, you keep your keep your O one. I don't know. I don't like yeah. it. Like it's kind of an anthem, and I, but I think PV said something like, you know, you need to attack with like two creatures to make it worthwhile or something. I don't know. Sure. I don't remember what he said, but I'll I'll outsource it to him. Sure. Why all right. All right. Um, so let's move on. Let's go to uh, to white cards because white was very very exciting uh, right out of the shoot. That we saw a lot of cards that we've talked about even on this cast that uh, were very impressive. Um, but, you know, for sake of completeness, let's go ahead and, and briefly touch on those again and talk about some of the other ones that have been revealed and, and, and see if we can figure out if they're good enough or not. Okay. The first one is the uh, upgraded blade of the Six Pride. The, uh, oh, wait, never paladin. mind. Yeah, yeah the, uh, we'll talk about a quarter paladin first. It's okay. first alphabetically. We can do that. Okay, that's true. Uh, a quarter paladin, the three-one uh, one blade of the six pride with battle cry. Like I've seen some set reviews on MTG Salvation for a cube, and I think people are kind of like, like I don't know if they're they're kind of like this is good, but I don't know. Call me crazy, but I think it's an auto include. I I have to agree with you. I think three power for two mana is something that's very rare, and I know people love themselves some Pegasi, but man, this card is a three is three power. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Blade of the Six Pride, even though I always kind of felt like it was close. But I think the battle cry for this card does put it over the top. I mean, you could uh, ostensibly be attacking for six on turn three. You know, you play your Isamaru or whatever on turn one. You're a quarter paladin on turn two. I mean, turn three, you know, O-ring something, get something out of the way, attack for six. I don't think that's that's anything really to sneeze at. Yeah, like, I definitely, it goes with the white weenie strategy so perfectly, and, I don't know, I'll gratuitously plug a uh, series of articles that I'm doing on Quiet Speculation uh, called, it's, uh, in business there's a thing called a SWOT analysis, which is essentially looking at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and it's usually done to apply to a business or a business division, but the SWOT analysis for cube, and I've done it for each, for white and blue so far, and by the way, huge shout out to Adam Staborski for helping with editing those. And yeah, they've been great, by the way. I, you guys should go out and read those for sure. They have I'll, been uh, they have been great. I'll definitely link them in the show notes. But yeah, I one thing I try to do is look at the archetypes in white, like white. For the most part, I looked at the color pairs, like white, red, white, blue, white, green, white, black. Sure. And a lot of them are very aggressive in nature. And you want to have your cube address what essentially what it's good at. It's kind of like having like Motorhead do a ballad or something, or do freeform jazz. Like they might be good musicians or whatever, but they're you know their best their strengths are you know just rocking out. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar with this. It's like white weenie is a very good strategy. Even like white red boros beats is what you know the strat the color pair is really best at. White green. You know, aggro, white, black, and a quarter paladin fits all of those strategies like a glove. Yeah, I, I mean, I really like the card. 
and the other thing I do like about it is that because it's three power, it's not necessarily dead playing it on turn three or four because uh, that three power is going to trade up to cards with higher uh, casting costs. It's going to trade in. It's going to trade up for you know three threes and, and four threes and things like that. Uh, let alone you know all the other bonuses or you know White's other cards such as token producers. I mean, how deadly is this card with something like uh, Decree of Justice, uh, Martial Coup, or even something like Sacred Mesa? I yeah. mean, one attack could be enough to just you know kill your opponent. Because one power is pretty huge. And, like, I noticed that a lot in commons cubes, and I wish I'd talked about that on my podcast with Adam, but, like, one, like, one power especially is a pretty big jump. Like, especially one to two is so huge because one is kind of insignificant, but two is kind of the base for a good attacking creature. Yeah, absolutely, man. One of my, uh, one of my hobbies, uh, is, uh, attacking for two. So that's kind of, uh, one of those great things. I mean, maybe now with the power creep, it's attacking for three, but yeah. <laughs> attacking for two is definitely one of my favorite pastimes. Let's uh, let's keep going. Let's go to another uh, battle cry card, a hero of Bladehold, which is for me another slam dunk. And the reason why uh, the morning of the pre-release, I will be registering for the mirror side because I want the promotional hero of Bladehold. Same here. Like, I don't really play EDH. Otherwise, I would probably go for the Glissa just for EDH, but I don't care. I you know just want to I just want a hero of Bladehold for my cube, and I'm probably not going to open nearly enough product to actually get one in a draft or you know trade or whatever. So sure, yeah. and it's mythic, so you might as well get it now while you can. And I got to be honest, you know, I could go on a, on another whole tangent here about how much I don't like the faction packs. Um, and I'm still waiting for confirmation whether or not the prizes will be given out in faction packs or regular packs or oh, wow. side drafts, how they're supposed to be. I've heard conflicting. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I got to tell you, this whole thing, not a fan. I understand they're trying to, you know, do something different and uh, they want to make things, you know, interesting for the casual players. And they really want that flavor of one side against the other. But I want you to imagine now if you're at the pre-release and you want to do a draft, if all they have are these faction packs, imagine what a train wreck that draft is going to be if people get to pick what faction packs they want. Oh, like, wow. oh I first pick <laughs> yeah. something in my faction, uh, but then I got past three straight packs with something not in my faction. So everybody's deck sucks. Oh. I like, I almost feel like, and you know, how much fun is it? It goes against their whole thing to be, Hey, well, let's have the whole table draft Mirren. Well, then that's stupid because we're all fighting each other. That doesn't go with the flavor at all. So not yeah. a fan. Don't want to spend too much time on it. But uh, that, from me, that deserves another for yeah. uh, on their part. But Hero of Bladehold, auto-include. Um, just real quick for people out there who may have not have seen it. It's uh, a four mana. It's two and two white. Is that right? Yeah. Two and two white. Uh, power toughness is? Three, four. Three, four. Whenever you attack with it, you may put... Two one one soldier tokens. because yeah. a lot of people play, were complaining attacking. that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, into play and attacking. You can make sure that you stack the battle cry. So basically, you're getting two free additional two one attackers every time you attack. Yeah, like the only the only potential downside to this card is that four mana is so so stacked in white. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's like, so good. 
Yeah, like, like I'm definitely going to put it in. You know, I already have it in, but it's just, like, it's a very, very competitive mana cost, but, you know, this definitely breaks it for sure. Yeah, you, you need to find you need to find room for this one for sure. Uh, the third the third white card we'd already talked about is Mirror and Crusader, which is the one in one white white two one double strike protection two, two. from uh, black and pro green. Yeah, uh, this guy. So it's a uh, a four two for all intents and purposes with double protection. Not really too much not to like about this one, and and I'm sure it's been discussed a lot yeah. <laughs> since it was one of the first cards spoiled. This, yeah, pretty much. Like, on our first podcast, we talked about it. Like, worst things for worst, it's essentially a 4-2. And, you know, best case scenario, you put any equipment on it or any guy with battle cry. You know, any way to boost its power, essentially, and it's just ridiculous. Like, unfortunately, you can't vines it because of pro green. Right. But, you know, just stick a bone splitter on it and just go to town. Just bash with this yeah, thing. Let, let's not even talk about putting an Umazawa's Jitta on there. Attack oh. with it, put counters on it, remove the counters, make it bigger before regular strike, or, you know, you attack into their big creature, they block it, you get your first thing involved, then you can give their guy negative, negative, you know, negative two to try to kill it before it kills your guy. There's, you know, double strike allows you to do lots of retarded things. Come to think of it, Umazawa's Jitta allows you to do lots of retarded things, but we already, we already knew that. Yeah. Uh, the next three cards we're going to talk about are kind of maybes. Uh, you know, one of them is the uh, standard, you know, expensive Wrath variant that they usually put in for white yep. called Phyrexian Rebirth, which is four double white sorcery, uh, destroy all creatures, and then put an XX into play where X is the number of creatures that died. Right. And while I do... Uh, like this card as I like its design. I kind of like the way it works. I, I'm not sure if I have room in my cube for another six mana wrath. Um, I do like it better than things like Kurtar's wrath. Um, yeah. I think I still like, uh, Catastrophe and, uh, Acroma's Vengeance better than this one. And I'm not sure if I have room for another six mana wrath. Yeah. Like that was one of the things I went over in the, in that cube SWAT was like, because like, you know, there are archetypes like white, red, ramp that kind of happen once in a blue moon, or, you know, they should at least not happen, like, a lot. But there's only – the only archetype that really wants it is Azorius Control, white, blue. And, you know, you don't really need that many Wraths to support that archetype. And for me, example, I have you know, Wrath, Day of Judgment, uh, Acromus Vengeance, Catastrophe, and uh, there's probably something else. Do you have Marshall Coup? No, I recently cut that. Okay. Uh, I don't know. There's, there might be another one, but I, I forget. But, it, you know, the list is on my blog. But, yeah, I just don't think it cracks that threshold. Like, I don't think it's good enough. Like, it's, you know, bonkers in multiplayer if you do a lot of multiplayer kind oh, of stuff. For sure. This is a card like Luminarch Ascension that if you're doing lots of multiplayer in your cubes, um, you're going to want it in your cube because this card is the real deal. When you're able to kill... Uh, four to five players worth of creatures, maybe six, you're going to wind up with a big, you know what afterwards. So, you know, I would, uh, I would include this if you're, if you're a multiplayer. Also, Luminarch Ascension, if you haven't figured that one out yet. That card yeah. is no better way to put a big target on your forehead than play a turn two Luminarch Ascension in multiplayer. 
Pretty much, yeah. That's just like, like attack me or you will die quickly. Right. I'm going to overwhelm the entire table. Unless you have friction and rebirth and kill all my angels and then get a big giant guy and then I have to make more angels and kill you first. Oh my god. <laughs> so, speaking of, uh, Martial Coup, there is a, uh, another token maker, the White Sun Zenith, um, which, once again, I feel like this card could be very close. It is, uh, triple white and X. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and you get to put uh, X number of 2 2 cat tokens or land in tokens or whatever they are in the play. The thing that makes this close for me is the fact that it's an instant. Yeah. Uh, originally, I think it was spoiled. You know, the rumors started out of it being, uh, sorcery, which is just not good enough. At instant, it makes me think about it, but the triple white in the casting cost is what kills me, and I'm not putting it in my cube. Yeah, like, I'm not, like, one of the, the traps that people can fall into when considering X cards is kind of like, for example, if they were to consider like a red X spell, like they would think, well, at two mana, I can just kill uh, one drop or whatever. Just very, you know, think of incrementally, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I can't really think of a time when it would be good to well, cast. Right. When, right, when does that card get good? Like a four mana 2-2? Two, two? No. Five mana for two two twos? No. Six mana for three two twos? Okay, well now we're, now we're even. You know, we're six mana instant speed for six in power. But do you really want a six drop spell that all it does is make two twos? I, I don't, I don't think you do. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I don't, I don't feel as though this is a card that, that you need to be playing in your cube. Yeah. Or at least that I don't need to be playing in my cube. I was about to say, I got no room for this, especially with all the good white cards. There's no room for that thing at all. There's another card that I think is kind of interesting called Leonin Relic Warder, which is kind of like the Mesmeric Fiend kind of card. Uh, 2-2. Faceless Butcher for artifacts and enchantments, right? Yeah, like uh, when it when it enters the battlefield, you may exile target, and it's, no, may exile target artifact or enchantment, and then when it leaves... The battlefield return the exiled card under to to play under its owner's control. And it's a two two for white white. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. I mean, to me, that seems like War Priest of Thune should just be better, right? Honestly, I think it's war. I think it's definitely better than War Priest, which really? sounds kind of weird. But well, how so? for exa- well, for for one, like most of the time, you're not really hitting. Like, the May Trigger, definitely, both of those have the May Trigger, but a lot of the times, there's there's a lot more artifacts than there are uh, enchantments to hit. I think somebody on on, uh, on MTG Salvation said something like 3.5 times more targets, and, you know, in terms of artifacts than enchantments, which sounds fine, or at least makes sense. But the way I view this card, and I think... People initially are kind of comparing it to the other analog core sanctifiers, and they're kind of down on this card. It's like, well, if that card dies, this card, the card comes back anyway, and that just sucks. But I think of this much more as a tempo card. Sure, and, you uh, get rid of their signet. You know, you go turn one, turn one, it's a Maro. They go turn one, land go. You're like turn two, two drop, bash you for two. They go turn two, signet. You're like turn three, get rid of your signet, keep you off of wrath for an additional turn. To be able to keep up the beats for a turn, I could see where that where that could see some play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, and even then, like you know, 
random interactions. Like, it's good against Wormcoil because it just exiles it kind of thing. But, yeah, sure. I think it's it's definitely, like I said, with this whole SWAT thing, like, I realized that white, red, and white, black really value the disenchant effect. Mm-hmm. And having one that's very main deckable, you know, on a body is very nice. Even if it's, again, kind of a tempo thing. Like, in those decks, they don't care if, you know, the opponent can kill on turn six because they'll be dead at that point. So... Right, so if so, so what is keeping it out of your cube then? I I don't know. Like I think I proxied it and put it in, but I don't remember what I took out for it. But the whole double white thing is awkward. But it, you know, if it was a one and a white, it'd be windmill slam in. But I think it's very good at this point. Like I'm, you know, giving a thumbs up to it. Right, but I I I mean, I feel like it's still on the outside looking in. Don't get me wrong, I, I actually like those kinds of cards a, a lot. Um, I'm one of the, the last people that still plays Mesmeric Fiend in their cube uh, because both it and uh, Tide Hollow Stellar because of how powerful I believe those types of effects are. Uh, speaking of, of tempo plays, uh, being able to eliminate you know cards out of their hand while continuing some rel- you know some sen- some semblance of beating um, and discard attached to creatures um, is always is always nice as well. So I feel like it's it's kind of in that family, but is a little more reactive than proactive, and I think that's what's going to keep it out of my cube, at least for now. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the next there. section we're going to talk about is blue, which is, you know, like, OMG, the best color of magic, but it's like the worst color in Mirrodin Besiege, at least for cube. Uh, like a lot of these cards rough. are just, yeah, they're just terabad. Or at least maybe not terabad, but none of these are really... They don't crack the uh, they don't crack the starting lineup. That's for sure. Yeah, like to the be one, a blue card in a cube, you have to be pretty darn good at this point. It's kind of like making the uh, I don't know the Chicago Bulls from like 1991 or something. Like you better be really good in order to do that kind of thing. Yeah, no kidding. The only card that I can really consider possibly good enough for cubes in blue is Consecrated Sphinx, spoiled by Adam. It's uh, the Four and double blue, four six flyer, and when your opponent draws a card, you may draw two. Okay, I feel like this card, while I don't think it's very good in one versus one type magic. I mean, yeah, it's it's good, but it just seems super slow. However, this card seems like a windmill slam for multiplayer cubes and for uh, EDH decks. I mean, yeah. people love. I mean, if you if you're a multiplayer cube out there, you should be playing Mind's Eye. Also, this is just a you know a a Mind's Eye that you know yeah it's a little harder to cast, but you know you also get to beat and block with it too. Um, I want you to now and just envision for a second for me. Get this image in your mind. Ready? Close my eyes. Two consecrated sphinxes in play, owned by different people in a six-player game. Wow, how does that work? Yeah, nice card drawing. I don't know if I'm missing something there. I don't want to talk to a scientist or anything, but that seems really good. Yeah, so yeah, if you're a multiplayer, I can see this one winding up on an EDH band list, actually, yeah. just because of how dumb it's going to be if two of them wind up in play. And if you're the unfortunate schmuck in the middle that doesn't have one, sucks to be you. Yeah, be like being in a... Like a Quentin Tarantino Mexican standoff or something, just and not and being the person who doesn't have the gun. Yeah, it's just uh, 
bad times, bad times. So the other card, too, that I think people are, are hyping a little bit is a Blue Sun Zenith. But, you know, when I look at that card, I'm like, okay, so we have uh, triple blue and X. Target player draws X cards. And I think to myself, okay, well, you could, you know, target yourself. You could, if you have uh, Palancron shenanigans, you could mill your opponent out. And then I remember, oh, that's right. I remember when this card was only one blue and two colorless and X <laughs> instead of three blue. And for me, that immediately tosses it out of the mix for me. I already have, you know, a stroke. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need a triple blue stroke. That's for, that's for sure. Yeah, it just costs way too much, I think. Now, uh, before before we go on, I just want to talk about Consecrated Sphinx. Like, somebody, you know, kind of new to cubing, maybe like, well, it's it's got the, you know, it seems like it has what it takes to be a good finisher, but I think one of the concepts that is definitely important to have when you are maintaining a cube is whether something is good enough to crack, you know, the, the uh, what's already there kind of thing. Like... For example, Consecrated Sphinx competes with, like, Frost Titan, Sphinx of Jouar Isle... Tiger the Tide Star. Yeah, and this just doesn't... Like, most of those have a way to protect themselves, or, you know, something like that. And this... And I, I really... You know, the whole dies to lightning... Or not lightning, but dies to path or bolt or whatever. Like, it's such a cliche, but it's... Definitely true. Even if they have instant speed removal, they can just do it on their upkeep and kill it. And it's really awkward to have, you know, a six drop that can potentially not have much of an effect. Like, I think you talked about it in your article on Star on uh on Salvation with like six plus drops and why like, you know, if they don't have an immediate effect with like the terminate test, they can, you know, the fact that they can die to, you know, something like a path or something. Can sure, I mean, I, I mean, everything dies for the most part. I mean, there are very few exceptions to that. Something like Sphinx of Dwar Isle would be an exception to that. But for the most part, everything dies. But you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna spend my time spending six mana for something, I definitely want some sort of investment. I understand the the upside is very high, but I I don't feel like the upside of hoping it sticks around long enough is enough for me to want to play that kind of card, as opposed to something like Kaiga, where, you know, they want to kill it, but they also don't want to kill it, because you get to take their best creature as well. It's kind of the, the, the perfect, you know, the perfect kind of position you want to be in. By the way, if you guys aren't running Sphinx of Dwar Isle, that card is absolutely nuts. I played it a few times this weekend, this past weekend while cubing, and I'm just like, Wow. I forget how nice it is to just, like, tap out six mana. Here's this guy. You can't do anything about it. It's most likely going to eat one of your guys. And, uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to look at my top card. Mm -hmm. I also like doing it in response to uh, Morph and in uh, response to Split Second. I'm going to look at my top card. Oh, wow. Never thought of that. Yeah, it doesn't use the stack. So they're like, sudden death. I'm like, and they're like, oh, do you have a response? I'm like, yep, I'm going to look at my top card. <laughs> so... I don't like this, like, me. And it's definitely one of those interesting lessons, like, speaking of Sphinx of Dwar Isle, is one of those lessons in terms of card evaluation. Like, when the card came out, a lot of people were just like, LOL, you can look at the top card whenever, and then lost focus on the fact that it's a 6-mana 5-5 five, five with Shroud. And I think I kind of ignored that in the beginning. I mean, you know, I did that too. You know, I, I'm not... I'm flying! Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I think there was somebody who said, like, it's essentially, you know, a all modes of morphling turned on. And granted, there are, you know, ways that it isn't, like, you can't, you know, equip it or whatever. But for the most part, that's that analogy is very true. And it's just looking at the overall, you're not getting super distracted by one aspect of a card. Like, right. you're not getting distracted by the OMG, look at the top card, whatever. But the main part of it being a huge shroud flying beater that has that really cool effect as well. Yeah, I uh, love it. I love it. It's a great card. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Just like uh, this next, like the cards in black that we're going to talk about, one of them that at least seems really strong, the uh, Wrath variant Black Suns Zenith. This card is awesome. Um, black, black, and X. Um, and is it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's all creatures yeah. get minus one X, minus one, minus one counters. Is that right? Yeah, they're scarred forever. Yeah. I mean, this, this card is bonkers. So, and also, you know, like all the Zeniths, after you cast them, um, they get shuffled back into your library. So this is something, it's a, uh, Four mana, kill all your two twos early on. It's a completely sweep the board later. You can use it to get yourself out of a jam. If someone's got multiple creatures in play, uh, you can, you know, use it to save yourself a ton of damage in the long run, even if you can only cast it for one or two. I mean, turning all their three threes into one ones, gonna buy you a lot of time. Gonna buy you a lot of time. And any sort of scalable wrath like this, just seems like a slam dunk. It's, you know, you have good interactions for you. If you're the caster, good interactions with opponents, kitchen finks and things like that as well. You don't have oh, to worry yeah. about, uh, about those coming back. Um, I, I just really like this card and, uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to take out for it. Um, but this seems like the kind of sweeper that you want in a control color. Yeah. Especially ones that have really big creatures. Like, if you can tailor the uh, survival effect to your benefit, like if you're playing it in a rock deck, for example, and you have, you know, you draft intentionally the big creatures like Kokosho, uh, Spiritmonger, Grave Titan, stuff like that, and then make it so that it benefits you more. Oh, you know, sure, so- you turn all their guys into 1-1s, one but you still have a bunch of 3-3s and 4-4s left. Yeah, or just even... You know, just kill all their dudes and just have stuff that bashes kind of thing. And the fact that that reshuffles is kind of gravy. Like, I would, you know, I was testing one of the Zeniths, like the green one, which we'll talk about. And I forgot about it. I forgot about the whole shuffle thing. And for the most part, I I don't really care. Like, it's nice if you do draw it. Like, the fact that you can draw it is nice. But, you know, 40, you know, 40 card decks are able to get them more often. But for the most part, I just don't really care. Yeah, I, I just really like this card. And the other thing, too, is, you know, you get those aggressive starts by the, especially the white decks that are turn one Savannah Lions, turn two another, you know, another one drop or whatever. And then just being able to, you know, almost two for two for one them right then is just going to save you a, a ton of time and damage for sure. All right. Precisely. The other black also- Oh, oh, sorry, right, you wanted, did you want to keep going about Zenith? No, I'm done. Okay. I'm done. That card is so good. I don't know what the oh. hell I'm going to take out for it, but something. 
Let's well, that's good. Let's move on and let's talk about a a very funny named card. I I kind of like it, but I some other people don't. Go for the throat. I, now, I don't this know. card is the one that reminds me of Lion King. Mm-hmm. Even though he says go for the jugular, the jugular. <laughs> I got a feeling I might be eroding mine to go for the jugular. But uh, this card is is really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this card. Yeah. Cool. Why don't you Why don't you go ahead and and. Uh, Exactly what does it do? It's one in a black, so we have like another terror variant. Mm-hmm. Destroy target non-artifact creature. Yeah, I mean, and speaking that a lot of cubes don't have a ton of artifact creatures as it is, this card has a billion targets. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it can't kill a worm coil, can't kill a, a battle sphere, but it kills nearly everything else. Yeah, who cares? I mean, a lot of other cards don't kill those things either. Exactly, like terror doesn't, and it's like boo hoo. <laughs> Who cares? This kills you. Uh, this kills you. Uh, Bob Confidant, though. Oh wow, yeah, that's true. Kills braids. Sure does. Sure yeah, I think does. it's gonna be really. I think it's definitely a staple. Like in terms of how many, I think the thing with this card is with go for the throat is how many destroy effects you want in your cube, and that's a question. That's a question for another episode, but. I don't know. Like, for example, I'm probably going to replace this or replace Terror with Go for the Throat. And I think that's fine. Like, it seems like a definite upgrade. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I I will not be taking Terror out of my cube just because it is the spell is way has way too much history behind it. I mean, it's one of those spells that have been around magic forever. I'll find some way to get Go for the Throat in there. Um, I feel like this is a very easy card to sub in for if you're playing Last Cast. I feel like this can this is a card that can almost immediately just go right in for that. Um, but, you know, this, uh, you know, Last Guest obviously has, you know, a different kind of effect, but I feel like that would be an upgrade as well. Obviously not a strict upgrade because um, it's two different effects. But, you know, I, I'm i not taking Terror out, but we'll we'll see what I can find. Maybe uh, maybe Sudden Death has now seen its day. Maybe Sudden Death needs to go, but I also like Split Second too. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but definitely finding a way to get it in there. Yeah, it's definitely going to be, like, that's the big question of what to take out, but it's definitely going in, that's for sure. Yep, for sure. All right, red cards. Yeah, the, there's uh, one card that I think is really interesting that is called a Hero of Oxid Ridge. All right. And that is two and two red for a 4-2 Human Knight with haste and battle cry. And whenever he attacks, creatures with power one or less can't block this turn. Yeah, and this, you get like whew. you get a kitchen sink with it too. It's got so many abilities. Yeah, I mean the fact that I I, I think the four drop at red is a little on the thin side. Um, you definitely have good cards that are four drop red creatures, things like avalanche riders, uh, things like that. But this card, it's got four power haste. There's no drawback. And guess what? All their elves and all their walls aren't attacking. That is that is the thing. I think that the haste, the combination of haste, four power, and the uh, unblockability by one or less is what sells it for me. I feel like the battle cry is just gravy on top of that. It's uh, I think the battle cry, like it definitely seems like a curve topper for aggressive decks. Like you go like turn one jackal pup, turn two whatever, turn three, whatever, turn four, this guy, with at least, like, two or more creatures, 
it's really going to give a lot of damage. Like, I'm not a, the biggest fan of the two toughness thing. But sure, sure. For the most part, I think that's fine. Like, it's obviously going to be a liability in some cases when your opponent has, like, a mana war and, you know, you attack into, you know, you attack into them with, like, yeah, like a Keldon Marauders and then this guy and then they block with a mana war killing the hero. But even still, that's fine. You're still getting a ton of damage in with this guy. And yeah, most of, most of the red four drops are very haste oriented. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Avalanche Riders, Keldon, Champion, which, is what I'm on, which is, which is what I'm considering changing, whether it's between Hero and Keldon Champion. And I don't know which is better, but I definitely think this guy is good, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoy this guy at all. Keep in mind, too, you don't have to attack into their Man of War. You can just wait a turn and untap and burn it out of the way first, of course. So, That's you don't true. always have That's to true. just, you don't always just have to suicide it in there just to squeeze in an extra point. Usually, uh, I would hope that your red deck might have a way or two to deal with a uh, a two two, but you know, you never know. You never that's know. True. <laughs> but yeah, this car, I, I think that card's an auto in. Um, I, I feel like that's the only auto in for me in red. Uh, but there are a couple other cards uh, that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, the first one being the Red Sun Zenith. Um, this is just it's straight up just an X spell, right? X and uh, red. They- they can't regenerate with it, so it's kind of okay. like disin- it's like a disintegrate. Like okay. whenever, uh, or no, when the creature is put into the graveyard from play, exile it instead. So it's like slightly worse in disintegrate because that hose regen. Okay, so yeah, so creature dealt this way would put into a graveyard, exile it. Of course, you get the reshuffle effect, um, yeah. which means you you have a chance of drawing it again. Um, I like this card. But I still, and I know some people are out there are, are flagging Banefire to be a card to pull out. However, I have cast Banefire for five or more way too many times against opposing control decks for me to take out Banefire um, as a finisher. It's like, man, I don't think there's any way I can win this game unless I draw Banefire you for seven. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> to, that makes me not want to include, include Red Sun Zenith because I'm not taking out Banefire for it. I feel like that's a. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't feel like that would be an an upgrade at all. But I can see it definitely seeing play because of the scalability, being able to redraw it. Um, unfortunately, you don't get to the the one thing I think you need to keep in mind with all of the zeniths. Uh, their shuffling is not a may, so you can't abuse it with things like Eternal Witness or Nuklevi, uh cards of that nature, um, to be able to cast them again and again. Which I think is 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 something that happens at least in my drafts quite often. You know, black yeah. command, black command you for four, bring this guy back. Or I mean, I've also you know, black command you for three, kill this, kill your guy. Oh, bring back eternal witness. Or, oh. <laughs> you know, like so. You know, there's I, I feel like you lose out a little bit with these with the zeniths, but. Red one might be okay. It's just, I don't think it's for me, though. Yeah, like, myself, like, I, like, when I was talking about the Black Cell Zenith, I pretty much ignored the fact that it shuffled in, and I, I'm still ignoring it with the Red Sun Zenith. You know, I don't think it's really super relevant, and it's definitely not enough of a potential upside to make up for, you know, the upsides on other X spells, like, yeah, yeah. Banefire, even, like, Demonfire, you know, it's, you know... 
hellbent countering. Like I, you know, there's almost every or every X spell in cube is going to be, you know, a better blaze, but there's only room for so many, and I don't think this one makes the cut. Right, because I think this one is, I mean, the the whole re- exiling instead is a very minor benefit, and I feel this is only a slightly better blaze if you don't have a way to keep searching for it, which I can't say that I know of one right now, but you know, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem better enough than blaze in order for it to be included. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. It doesn't have enough of an upside to make it better than like, yeah, like demon fire or something. Yeah. Like bane fire is just, oof. Bane fire is so good. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, speaking of burn spells, um, let's talk about Slagstorm. Okay. Slagstorm, uh, one and double red, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a, a couple of different modes to choose from. Um, you can, it's a sorcery. You can either, uh, fire spout all their guys or everybody's guys. So three damage to each creature, or you can just send it to the face for, th- for, uh, three to each player. Yeah. Now, I feel like this is a card that, I mean, this card is going to dominate. I think you're going to see a lot of this card in constructed formats, um, especially in control decks. Um, cause I mean, something like fire spout just saw a ton of play. Um, but I'm not so sure it's good enough for cube. I, I do like the fact that it's two different modes depending on what you need it for, but I'm not sure if that makes it good enough. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't think like, you know, I know I keep on harping about the whole, you know, SWAT thing and looking at what a color as a whole does. But again, it's more red is a very aggressive color in nature and really the only archetype that really wants to play the control role for the most part is red blue. You, you have know. some white red control decks, but uh I think blue red is definitely the the foremost among those. Yeah. And even then like there's only so many quote unquote control effects that you want in red. Like, you know, Crater Hellion, uh, Starstorm, Pyroclasm, Rolling Earthquake, Regular Earthquake, things like that. And I just, you know, I don't think it's a bad card. And the fact that you can make it not hit players is nice in those control decks. I just don't think it's good enough. Yeah, I, I just, I, I really like the first mode. Um, but I, like I said, I just feel like it's it's one gradation away from being good enough. At least that's the kind of the way I feel about it. Yeah, like it, it's it's like with you know blue having you know this higher you know these really good cards, you know there's they're really good control cards in red, like you know yeah like Starstorm and Pyroclasm and whatnot, and this just doesn't crack that. It's not good enough to compete with those kinds of cards. Like I can see people you know using Slagstorm, and I'm not gonna slag them for it. Bad pun intended. <laughs> LOL, but, you know, I think it's, you know, I just don't think it's good enough. Like, you know, I'll, you know, I don't think it's a bad card. You know, a lot of these cards I don't think are bad. Like, I don't think Consecrated Sphinx is a bad card. I just, it's not good enough. And I think Slagstorm is another one of those cards. It just isn't good enough of a red control card for, you know, for the role that red plays in cube. Yep. I I agree with you. I agree. Let's uh one more one last uh red card that you wanted to mention is uh Goblin War Driver. Is that right? Yeah. It was By the uh, it's the uh double red. 
I keep getting these simplistic cards to explain, but I like it. Double red, 2-2, two, two, Battle Cry. And I feel like while the, the red two-drop spot is something that has been historically weak, I think we've made up a lot of ground recently between Kargan, Dragonlord, and Plated Geopede. So I don't know if, for me, this card is not quite good enough. I really would have liked to have seen this as red and one, um, yeah. just because I like, you know, I like goblins and legacy, and I'd like to be able to cast this guy for one mana as a haster. Um, I feel like this card might be good enough for cube if it was a two-two haste with battle cry with the haste in, involved. But oh, that would be nuts. I, I, I know, but I I don't feel like I don't know what else would make this card. What else, you know, would be involved to, to make this card good enough for Cube? At least, at least for me, I, I don't, I, I don't think it needs it. I don't know what you think about it, though. I don't know. Like I'm trying it, you know, I'm kind of, you know, testing it, trying it, kind of thing. And I don't know. I think it's, yeah, like the double red is really awkward. I don't know if it's really awkward, but it is awkward for aggressive decks that just want to do stuff like, you know, like a borrow deck that goes like, turn one. Uh, Savannah Lions turn to War Driver needs like a plateau or a Sacred Foundry or whatever to do that, which is annoying. But I think Battlecry is useful enough for aggressive decks to be worth at least testing, or at least worth a shot. Like I don't, I definitely wish it was one in a red. And I think it was kind of weird that a quarter Paladin. As a knight, like, it seems like those two probably were swished at birth or something. That just seems so weird. Like, ah. you would expect the knight to be the the two, the you know, two color two, man. Right. Yeah, like, that just seems really weird. And, like, the reckless goblin that's, like, charging into battle being the 3-1, especially he's holding that whatever whatever that weapon is. I don't know. Yeah, that's, no a, that's actually a fair point. I think I would like this card better, too, if it had an immediate impact. If you could go turn one, plateau, savannah lions turn to this guy, attack for three. Like, if it was more like ex- like pseudo-exalted. But the wow, fact yeah. that you have to wait until turn three to attack with him to get the first benefit from him, I I feel like isn't quite enough. I don't know. I, I, think it's, I, I think it's just missing something. I like the card. The name gave me very high hopes, you know, because Goblin Piledriver, pretty spiffy. But yeah. just, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm dubious at best. There was, that, there was the spoiled version that somebody just mocked up in set editor. That was like three, you know, one double red for a two-two haste battle cry, and like all other goblins got battle cry. And like I don't, know, I just yeah, okay. use, yeah, I just use set editor so much for proxying cube cards, and I'm just like fake, you know, just like total uh, magic set editor fake. Like this is ridiculous. Without yeah. even looking at the card's completely absurd. Yeah, just not looking at the whole imbalanced issue. It just was, no. Now, so, uh, this card I could see being very good, however, in uh, the metal red deck, that Cold Duth uh, Rebirth deck, because you get to turn one, make your three one ones, turn two, play this guy, bash with your three guys, turn three, play your uh, Goblin Chieftain, and then bash oh, in with everybody. That's, that's true. This card seems like a very good fit for that deck. Or, you know, maybe maybe you just cast your Chieftain on turn two with the help of other stuff, I don't know, and then play this guy afterwards so he has haste. I, I feel like that's a good home for this card, but I don't feel like Cube is a good home for this card. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna, I'm trying him out. I, I think he's, 
I think he's not bad, but I don't know. Yeah, definitely, definitely isn't horrible for sure. It's no. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. It's yeah. fine for sure. Let's uh, let's keep going. Let's uh, move to green because you know what? Green doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of cards in it. Yeah, that's true. They kind of got, you know, they kind of got shafted a little bit. But the one card that they got is whoa. That card is Thrun the Last Troll. Card is ridiculous. Because the uh, troll aesthetic, it's a legendary creature instead of a regular creature. But, you know, two double green for a 4-4, four, four, you know, troll shroud regeneration. And it can't be countered, which is, you know, it's kind of like the changeling on, on Chameleon Colossus. It's, you know, it's gravy, but it's nice to have for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, this is, the, this is the blue player's worst nightmare, pretty much. Um, if you're a green player... Um, one of the reasons why I run um, the 4-4 from Cold Snap, the 4-4 for 4. four, four, four um, brooding Saurian or something? Brooding Saurian is because uh, the green versus blue matchup is so lopsided in blue's favor because of blue's ability to take control of green's creatures. You know, you go through all this trouble to play creatures, um, and then they just go ahead and take them. Um, I had an example of this cubing this past weekend. Um, playing my blue white deck against a uh, green aggressive deck, he goes turn four, play uh, turn four, play open fist, and I said that's awesome. He's like, you know, asshole's teammates, does he have anything? So drop the Maloku into play for free, untapped, <laughs> untapped, and control magic your five five. Thanks. Oh, so. I feel like that's the biggest weakness, and not being able to counter it, not being able to take it, not being able to target it, being able to stick equipment on it, do whatever you want with it. Back in the day, Troll Aesthetic was an awesome card against the blue decks because they couldn't shackles it either. I feel like this is going to fill that role very, very well in the green versus blue matchup. Not to mention that it's still a 4-4-4-4 that regenerates. Yeah, like uh, last week... I had it proxied and did my first cube sealed and had a pool with him, Skull Clamp, Sword of Fire and Ice, and Sword of Light and Shadow. Nice deck. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And I just felt I just felt terrible playing that, you know, just against my opponent who I think he was in like white black and you know had that and and the sword of light and shadow and was like, Yep, <laughs> you're just gonna die and like Three turns, or maybe right. like four turns, or something. It was just—it's so hope ridiculous. Kill me in, I hope you can kill me in uh, three turns from now. As a matter of fact, speaking of uh, open fist, I think this card is actually going to just straight up replace him in my cube. Yeah, that is definitely like five super... five trample for four. Not as impressive as it was five years ago. That's for sure. It's like Windows Seven upgrade from like Vista or something. It's like huge upgrade. Yeah, like you know, maybe maybe people except for that Vista was never really awesome or fun. Where I think That's open true. fist, I feel like open fist is really fun because you get to play the whole risk reward game of does he have something? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't think that's as fun anymore. And also too, the five five trample for four just not as big as it used to be. So bye bye uh, bye bye open fist. Hello, trolling people. Yeah, it's like I Thea uh, Steel has like an online cube like, on Moto, and, like, when she was kind of, like, transitioning from, like, an uncommon to a rare kind of cube, like, I suggested putting in, uh, 
Iwamori, and it worked pretty well. But yeah, I like Iwamori Thrun, just fine. Yeah, I think he's but, fine. Just the run is just ridiculous. Yeah, obviously, and I mean mine even has uh, some text on it as well because uh, we would all whenever casting the card we would always drop it and go Fistia. <laughs> so nice. the uh, in in the card he's actually got a speech bubble that says Fistia. And he's also signed by, it's a Paolo Parente car, too, who, if you haven't seen his signature, is uh, pretty spectacular. It's a nice-looking card. Uh, if I think about it, I'll uh, I'll link some of them to, like, my photo bucket or whatever so you guys can see them um, in the show notes. One more Sweet. green card. Let's, let's, uh, we're, we're, we're in the home stretch here. One more okay. green card. Uh, green Sun Zenith. Since we've talked about all the other ones, might as well talk about this one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Personally, I don't like it, but why don't you go ahead and, and uh, actually tell everybody what it is so that way people who are unaware might have a chance to, to evaluate it along with us. Okay. Uh, search Sorcery, X and a green. Search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost X or less and put it into play. Then Onto shuffle. the battlefield, dude. Onto the <laughs> battlefield. Get it right. I gotta, it got to be new. Then Then shuffle your library. And I think this part is going to be errated, and then it's like, then shuffle Green Sun Zenith into its owner's library. So you shuffle like, again. Why not shuffle it twice. Yeah, why not just shuffle, why not say, search for the card, put it on the battlefield, then shuffle Green Sun Zenith into its owner's library. It'll probably be errated to that, but yeah. Unless, it's, unless there's something, I, I don't know, unless it's because you can control their turn... Like if you mind slaver them, and you, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know I, why it's worded that way. Yeah, I, I got look for cracks in logic when I see funny wordings, and I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure this is one of them. Yeah, I just raise my eyebrows. But like the card itself, like I think it's one of those cards that's going to be good in green mid range decks. And this point is pretty much ripped off of PV. But I kind of came to the point myself when I was testing the card. Is like, you know, it's not the most efficient card to look for stuff. Like, spending six mana to look for a Kodama of the North Tree isn't, like, super, you know, super efficient. Or spending two mana to look for an elf, I'm not jumping for joy for it. But the fact that it has that scalability in mid-range decks is really nice. Like, you can spend three mana in the early game to look for Wall of Blossoms is really nice. And you can use that same card to spend... Nine mana to look for your Terastodon to just win the game right there. There's that flexibility that I think is really useful. I mean, you have to tailor your your green mid-range decks to have more creatures because of that. You know, you might have to well, lean a little. Yeah, you'll probably have to add a few more green creatures. Exactly, in, which means you need to. You need they need to be opened in your cube draft, and you need to draft them in your cube draft too. So. But even still, like, even if you don't open, like, the, say, the Terastodon or the Woodfall Primus, even then, like, having a North Tree and Thornling as, like, your big dudes, big dudes in green at least, and then, like, you know, your Shriek Maws, Necrotals, and whatever, like, I still think it's fine. The only problem is that you it's only... You can't get it, those cards. Yeah. Like, I think the problem is that it's only not really, me. it's, you know, not that great in, like, aggro, for example, and that's, you know, yeah, you know, I, a lot I, of green decks like that archetype. Yeah, and you're you're right about that. I feel like the best use of this card is going to be in some sort of constructed elf deck, um, you know, to be able to go get 
a uh, the last combo piece for combo elves, for example, to be able to go get your, you know, tap three elves for three green mana or go get your 2-2 two, two for a one that untaps whenever you play a green spell. Or better yet, I think the best use of this card, just paying green and going and getting Dryad Arbor. Yeah, I was just about to say get Dryad Arbor for one green. That's that's, that's my favorite. One mana ramp spell. That's my favorite use for this card so far. Unfortunately, that card, you know, only useful in eternal format, so don't know how useful that is. Uh, that's going to wind up being. But I think that that seems like a pretty sweet play to me. Yeah, like I think it's it's another one of those cards that I think is probably worth testing. But, you know, I'm not jumping for Joey over it yet, but it ain't bad. And yeah. uh, the last uh, card we're going to talk about is the only multicolor card that I think is really good or really good enough for cube is uh, Tezzeret, Minion of Bolas. Is it Minion or Agent? It's Agent of Bolas, oh, right? Agent of Bolas, wow. Total fail on my part. I don't know where that came from. But yeah, essentially two, a blue and a black, three loyalty, Planeswalker, Tezzeret type. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put them into put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in any order. As and that's the plus one. one. Yeah, the minus one is target artifact becomes a 5-5 five, five artifact creature forever. Forever. And the, <laughs> and the minus four is target player loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is twice the number of artifacts you control. Yeah, twice. That's the important the important word right there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I have room for this guy. Like, he seems good. Like, a lot of artifact decks... You, or a lot of blue decks use a lot of artifacts, and you know, kind of using some sketchy math. Like, if you have eight artifacts, you have about a one fifth, you know, about one fifth of your deck is artifacts. So, math-ish wise, you should be able to hit it on pretty much every impulse if you have eight artifacts in your deck. The question right, is, but you know, that, how that many means you have to have eight left in your deck that aren't already in play and aren't already in your hand too. So, yeah, and the big question is, how many artifacts? are you running in your control decks? Like, I think I asked it on Twitter, and the answer I got was, like, five to seven, you know, seven at most. And the question is, is that enough to make Tezzeret good enough, you um, know, in those decks? Probably not in your random blue-black control deck. However, I think if, uh, if the artifact deck is an archetype you support, I think um, this card could be uh, a card you can explore for that specific archetype. I'm not a big fan of including one ofs for specific archetypes, but I think this is powerful enough that I think you could do it and get away with it if you're finding that your artifact deck would like a little bit more help, uh, a little bit more power in your cube. I think this is this is one you could include, um, and people aren't going to people aren't going to give you too much crap about it. Basically, if you're trying to support the artifact deck, if you don't have the artifact deck theme though. It gets a little sketchier. However, there is definitely an allure to, you know, turning all your signets and mindstones into five fives and just beating the holy you know what out of your opponent with them. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about it is that it can it can turn artifacts that kind of outlive their usefulness into five five beat sticks. Like yeah, like you said, signets, mindstones, chalices, moxin if you're running power. Sure, stuff sure. Stuff like that. That's just really good. I just don't know. Blue black is so stacked. I just don't know if I have room for it. Yeah. But it's kind of like a uh, Venser where you kind of it's one of those you have to build around it. Yep. And is the payoff worth it? Probably. I would yeah. say probably. 
I mean, probably. I mean, it's a, it's a two, in any deck that has lots of artifacts, I mean, you're, you're likely, if you're hitting, <clears throat> if you're ultimating, um, you should probably, uh, be, you should probably be doing it. So, uh, I don't know. Check it out. You know, you're, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get this one cheap. Um, you know, it's right now retailing in the 30 to 35 range. So unless you happen to open one, um, then, you know, hey, why not? But I, I feel like this is a card that is a little expensive right now just for testing purposes. Maybe you want to proxy it up and, and, and try it out. But, uh, I don't know. It's, I think it, blue black is very good and I think it remains to be seen, but, I have some other ideas for this card that I, I really can't reveal at this moment, but uh, they don't involve Q, but I have some other ideas for it, and we'll see what comes of those. But, uh, you know, try it out if you want to push the artifact theme. I think, you know, I think that'll be fine. Okay. Uh, I guess that covers pretty much everything. Like, yeah, you know, we pretty much I gone to... so, too. Uh, real quickly, I just wanted to mention, as much as I like Blightsteel Colossus, I am not a fan of cards... Um, that require other cards for them to be good. Um, I feel like this card needs, you need a tinker to make it any good, and therefore that's why I'm not playing it. However, that doesn't mean I don't see the allure of killing somebody with one swing. Yeah, that's pretty much like, it's gonna be like, uh, a way, like Emrakul, like you need to, you need to cheat in the play, otherwise it's pretty much worthless kind of thing. Alright, well hey. This has been fun. Uh, we've, uh, I think we've covered most of it. Hopefully we won't look back on this in, uh, too long and, and think of how stupid we were. And, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And I want, wanted to thank everybody for listening to it. I'm happy to be back. It was kind of a bittersweet for me to listen to the podcast last week and not be a part of it. But, you know, sometimes you, uh, sometimes you have to play in an opera and, and do other things and, uh, other than, than talking about cubes. So Usman, thanks a lot. Why don't you let him know where uh, people can contact us with questions. Keep the comments rolling in, you guys. It's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely been been really nice. Uh, I you know have my blog, my cube blog at I'd rather be cubing, i d r a t h e r b e c u b i n g dot wordpress dot com. And you know I, I haven't updated as much lately, but uh, what we're gonna start doing I think next week is uh, if you listen to the podcast Limited Resources, they do a thing called Crack a Pack where they essentially take a pack of cards, open it, and decide what their first pick would be. And I think, you know, we're probably going to start doing that on the blog. Uh, I also have my uh, Twitter account, Usman the Rad, and you can always contact us via comments on the MTG Cast page or our uh, email at mtgthethirdpower at gmail.com. And if you happen to be uh, on the Cube forums as well on MTG Salvation, we can always be found there. There is a separate thread for us that's just the Third Power uh, podcast thread, so you can uh, contact us there. Yeah, and uh, like I said, every bit of feedback is useful, and we definitely thank thank all of you, uh, especially those at the uh, the GP, and like you said, who who gave us uh, gave us some props there. Yep, for sure. We had a lot of I uh, had a lot of people that were had listened to it and had a lot of good things to say and a lot of good suggestions. And uh, hopefully we've uh, manufactured some more listeners too. I I uh, definitely tried to pimp it out a little bit and get some more get some more listeners. Whenever I cubed with somebody, like, hey man, if you like this, you should listen to me talk about it for an hour. You know, <laughs> so 
Isn't that more fun than playing anyway? Oh, wait. So, well, hey, man, thanks a lot for it. And uh, I think we uh, you had something you wanted to add here at the end. Oh, yeah, true. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. Mirrored and besieged, steal yourself for war. (laughs) 